Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Dooley Football Cavalcade. I'm John Dooley, and we are back to preview the Week 1 games. We got through Week 0. We did our Big Ten preview last week, and if you're just listening to this for the first time, you can still listen to that podcast as well. If you just search Dooley Football Cavalcade in your podcast directory, it should come up. Um, We're going to review what took place last week and then also preview some of the games this week as well. So a very, very interesting uh, week zero that we got to see, and I think a lot of people have been talking all week about what took place in that Northwestern Nebraska game in Ireland. Uh, But first, I kind of want to touch on that Illinois-Wyoming game, because I think we're going to spend some time talking about that Northwestern Nebraska game for quite some time. Uh, The Illini come through with a 38-6 victory. I think it was really good to see the Illini in control. Uh, Seeing Tommy DeVito... Looked comfortable at times in the pocket. It was nice to see him get that early touchdown pass to get the Illini on the board. Uh, And I think we all expected the Illini to be able to run the ball. I think that's going to be a strength with that veteran offensive line and Chase Brown this year. Um, It was also nice. How about this? For those of us that were kind of wondering if maybe the Illini would have a little bit of a, I don't know, semi-downturn as far as their defense is concerned. It didn't really look like that at all. The defense pretty much dominated the game. And uh, the Illini, outside of maybe the first drive of the start of the game and the first drive of the second half, looked pretty darn good. Um, I will say this about DeVito. 37 attempts. So he threw the ball 37 times. 37 attempts. And of those 37 attempts, he was only able to generate 194 yards. Now, I think there's a couple things to this. Number one, it's his first game playing in a new system. I don't think they wanted to show a lot. I don't think they wanted to complicate anything. They didn't want to put anything on film for other teams to look at. Um, But at the same time, I don't know if during the game we really saw enough of those difficult throws that DeVito was able to make. And if you're an Illini fan, it does present, you know, it does give you a little consternation going forward thinking about that, if that's going to be your passing game. Reminds us of some older Illini teams and some other quarterbacks that we saw through the years. So we're hoping here that, you know, that's just a one-off and that the Illini will be able to turn that around and maybe open things up a little bit, but they may not have to. Uh, They honestly may not have to with that running game. It was also really great to, by the way, to see Reggie Love get that touchdown uh, later in the game as well. It was great to see him be healthy and get that TD, but uh, 19 carries for 151 yards and two touchdowns for Jace Brown. And I think we're going to see that throughout the year. This is going to be a really solid line. Uh, Chase is going to be able to run. I think the issue is, is when you play those really, really good defenses, when you play a team like a Michigan State or an Ohio State that can really just key in on your run game and load up the box, and they know that they have the defenders that can match up man-to-man on your receivers. And they're not afraid of DeVito having to make the play. And I think that's something that we're going to have to see over the year. Can he be the guy that makes the two to three throws a game that's the difference in the game? Because the Illini are going to be able to run the ball. They're just going to need to be able to get him to be able to make those throws. But once again, really great. You know, we had so many bad Illini teams with terrible defenses year after year after year. It's really nice to see uh, them kind of get back after their their defense did such a great job last year. And to kind of see this again this year. Uh, reminds a lot of us of those teams that we used to watch in, in, in the 90s and those really good defensive Illinois teams that they had back in the day. So good to see Illinois come out on top with that 38-6 to victory over the Cowboys. Now let's quickly pivot over. 
Let's move to that debacle that took place in Ireland last week, where Northwestern came from behind to win 31 to 28. You know, I usually take a lot of notes uh, when I'm watching a game, if I'm going to use them for a podcast or if I want to talk about some items with some friends or whatnot. I didn't take any notes on this because I didn't have to. Uh, This was a game that, quite frankly, should have been over early. Nebraska dominated the game. They were the best team from the start of the game. Um, They were doing everything right. They were mixing everything correctly. Uh, Thompson looked very comfortable in the offense. And Northwestern, quite frankly, looked a little shell-shocked. And quite frankly, they looked a little slow. Uh, The Wildcats looked a little slow. Let's talk about Helinski for a moment, because as I shared in the preview, I told everybody that I didn't really have a lot of faith on him. And my preview for Northwestern was actually um, fairly minimal because I, you know, I had them at the, you know, the bottom of the the Mac West, the Mac West. (laughs) I thought so lowly, maybe they would be at the bottom of the Mac West, but the, the bottom of the Big Ten West. And boy, they really showed us a lot in that game yesterday. They 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 showed, and I and I mentioned to this in the podcast, and I mentioned this to my friends over the week. It's really really tough to give Pat Fitzgerald over two hundred days to prepare after he experiences disappointment. That dude does not do well with disappointment, and that's why you've seen them rebound from these terrible seasons that they've had in the last five years and come right back and win eight games or win nine games or get to a Big Ten championship game. They don't deal well with losing. And Fitzgerald, and it seems like the staff in Northwestern, you know, because they're the private school and the conference and, you know, they're kind of just shunned, kind of shunned a little bit to the side by a lot of the other fan bases and made fun of with the small stadium and all that stuff. They kind of feel like this stilted little brother in a lot of ways. And they love I mean, Northwestern people love feeding off of that. They love being told that they can't do something and let me show you. And this was, I think, the ultimate reflection of those games, of, of, of that, that type of attitude that's within the program. They really showed that in this game. Their backs were against the wall, all the cliches you can think of, and uh, they turned it around. And you never got this sense of panic from the Northwestern team. Obviously, we've got to talk about the, the the horrific decision that took place. I, I've watched football for a long time. I started watching when I was very young. I'm also a football historian, for those of you that don't know me as well. Um, I've been watching football since 1986, and I've been, you know, <laughs> and I'm one of those losers who watches old games on YouTube as well. So I, I know a lot about the history of the game. I, honest to God, cannot remember a time where a team did an onside kick with a double-digit lead. I, I, I can't remember it. And I know someone can go and cite it and look for it. Uh, maybe somebody mentioned it on Twitter of something that happened at a previous time. I can't remember it taking place. And I had an exchange with somebody on Twitter. Uh, if you follow me, by the way, on Twitter, I have a, a, a handle. It's at Dooley Football. So capital D, capital F, at Dooley Football, if you want to follow me on Twitter and and talk a little bit more about today's podcast. Um, I had an exchange with a Nebraska fan, and uh, they talked about the fact, yeah, no doubt, Nebraska has way more talent than Northwestern does, but we turn the ball over, we have stupid penalties, we make dumb decisions. 
And my retort to that person who was really down on their, on their own team is I said, you want to know what's funny? If they go into this game and if they find a way to win a close game, that's all they need. They just need a close win to kind of turn it around. It would almost be better if Nebraska won the game 35 to 31 than if they would have won the game 42 to 10. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's getting the bad taste out of their collective mouths so that they can move forward as a program and say, you want to know what? We know we're going in the right direction. But there he was. Frost okaying the decision for the onside kick and essentially just letting Northwestern back in the game. They quickly go down and drive for a touchdown and boom, it's a ball game again. They came out in the second half blazing. Nebraska was owning the game. It was over. And they just decided to do the onside kick and it completely turned around on them. And it was this terrible feeling and you could kind of almost feel it just through your TV from the Nebraska fans that were there. All the energy that they gave that crowd in the first half of that game, you could feel it slowly come out. Because now the fans are saying to themselves, here we go again. And the players on the sidelines, even with all the transfers that they brought in, here we go again. And that is really, really tough to turn around that culture in those situations. Uh, I'm going to go back in my, my football memory bank. For those of you that don't know me as well, uh, I was a student at uh, Southern Illinois University from the fall of 1998 until the fall of 2003. And if you want to talk about football programs that loved blowing large leads, that conversation probably starts and ends with the Southern Illinois teams of the 1990s and early 2000s. I'm not exaggerating when I say that I think every year that I was there, I watched our team blow at least three double-digit leads. Um... They once blew a 28 to nothing lead against Illinois State. They were up 35 to 7 in that game. They lost 55 to 48. I remember they um, uh, were leading a game against Murray State. And uh, God, what was the score in that? I believe they were up 41 to 7 in that game. And they held on for a 58 51 victory. It was the culture there, the people that were there believed it was going to happen. And when we were sitting in the stands, we thought to ourselves, here it comes. It's starting again. It's really tough to get that out of your system when those things take place. So um, a really, really rough uh, loss for Nebraska. And uh, the buyout for Scott Frost gets chopped in half on October 1st. It goes from 15 million to seven and a half million. A lot of people are already saying that uh, if he doesn't get a big early season win, that's probably going to be it for him. He's got a couple more opportunities to turn it around. Um, I don't know if they'll even let him go home if they lose this week at home to North Dakota. Now, for those of you that might not know the Missouri Valley Football Conference as well, I think sometimes now it, with people that are in the know in college football, they know, oh my gosh, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, that's that's the top uh, conference in FCS. Any of those teams you play from that conference, they're pretty solid. You know, you're probably going to win the game if you're a major team, but they're going to put up a fight for a little bit. Uh, North Dakota, though, this year is not in the top half of the conference, so there's really nothing to fear there. Although this is Nebraska, God knows what could happen. Um, I'll preview that game in just a little bit. But a huge win for Northwestern after that really rough year last year. All we heard from was how Fitz was going to turn things around. But when you looked at that roster, you thought to yourself, okay, I know the line looks good. I know Evan Hull's going to be a solid runner, but my goodness. How about Porter? How about that team? I mean, just how about the physicality that Northwestern showed at the line of scrimmage? I mean, they looked like a big football team. 
I, I think for a lot of people, they kind of sealed it that um, and, and God knows is we, we're going we're to see more over Big Ten play. But you get a, a feeling that, yeah, this is a bold team. This is a team that should be that is a really good shot at getting to six wins. And I was just telling you last week, I was just saying last week that, you know, oh, I think Illinois is even going to be better than Northwestern. Well, not so sure about that one. Pretty impressive performance from Holinsky and the whole offense looked completely different. Uh, he looked like one of those old veteran Northwestern quarterbacks that we've kind of gotten comfortable with. Let's be honest, over the last 25 years, it's rare now to see poor quarterback play from a Northwestern quarterback. We're used to them at least being middling, right? We're used to them being decent to be the Bechet or the Kustak or the Kafka or um, you know, any of the other great quarterbacks that they've had over the last 20 to 25 years. So um Big win for Northwestern, and we'll keep an eye as to what goes on with Nebraska. But the big stuff, week one of the Big Ten's getting underway, and uh, let's talk about that because we got a quick turnaround. Thursday, we've got our second Big Ten game of the year, and Penn State is at Purdue. And Penn State's kind of, uh, excuse me, uh, Penn State's had their way on Purdue uh, all time. They're 15-2 and two all time against the Boilers. Um, this is really a matchup of um, Aiden O'Connell going up against that great defensive backfield of Penn State. What a great way, though, for Aiden to get this challenge, but to get the challenge at home. First game of the year, you've lost a lot of your skill position, guys. Everybody's questioning, you know, can he do what he did last year without of it, with some of his big playmakers gone? You're facing these great defensive backs at Penn State. You're going up against Porter and Brown and the top defensive backs in the Big Ten. How are you going to be able to do it? Well, hey, this is the place. You're at home. Might as well face it in that first week and see where you're at. We're going to find out so much about, uh, I think, more so about Purdue. Um, I have kind of have a good vibe as to what this Penn State team is. I don't believe that they're really going to challenge for anything. Um, uh, I think they're a, a very, very good football team. Um, I don't think they're a... Uh, they're not a top 10 team in my book, uh, but O'Connell, I think we're going to find out throughout this year of what his draft stock is going to look like. So I'm kind of excited to see what he's going to bring forth. Um, and will the Boilers be able to run? Because that's the thing. That is kind of the ticket in this game for me. Yes, Purdue's going to throw the ball and O'Connell's going to be the gunslinger, but I really think they've got to establish the run in this game if they're going to have a chance. Uh, Penn State's favored by three and a half, and uh, I really think it's going to be tough for O'Connell to um, to work against this Penn State defense. Um, Penn State's got history on their side, but Purdue's going to have the crowd on their side. Uh, the program feels like it's kind of made that turn, right? It feels like it's made that turn. So um, uh, this is going to tell us a lot. And one thing that we learned from last year the one thing that we definitely gathered from last year is that Purdue is not going to be scared of any opponent. And that, the, honestly, the bigger the stage, it seems like the more that they're ready. So I think O'Connell can really take a, a step forward and really make a name for himself uh, in this year and letting everybody know the type of quarterback that he is. The other game uh, on Thursday night uh, that's probably not going to get as much prep but has a little bit more drama, uh, the reason why it has drama is because Jerry Kill is the head coach now at New Mexico State. Uh, for those of you in the area who are listening to this, who uh, live in the Chicagoland area, you remember Jerry Kill as the former head coach at Northern Illinois, 
And he came originally from turning around the program at Southern Illinois and uh, then did a decent job at Minnesota uh, before that ended in uh, a non in a fairly acrimonious way, I should say. So Jerry Kill is coming back after he said that he would never step foot once again on the University of Minnesota campus, by the way. Um, in New Mexico was projected. If you go into any, and you can go to the Barnes & Noble and you can go to, you know, I don't know if they still have them at supermarkets or whatnot or go online. Pretty much to a T, New Mexico State was a lock. It's one of the five worst teams in college football uh, for the upcoming year. I mean, they are viewed that poorly. Jerry Kill is kind of a miracle worker. Uh, I saw him turn around the program at SIU. This was a program that people who went to school there kind of felt like the program should be canceled. I mean, basketball's always been the big sport on campus there. Um, people just care more about the basketball program. Football was a joke. I mean, an absolute joke. I want to say in the five years that I was there, they won, geez, 11, 11, somewhere between 11 to 13 games. And uh, he turned it around by 2003, which I believe was his third season. Um, they went 10 and one. Just unbelievable. Just an unbelievable turnaround that they had as a team. Got them to a final four. Um, they lost to Joe Flacco in Delaware in the FCS semis in a very devastating loss. And then he went to Northern who had just gotten rid of Novak after having a rough season because Southern actually beat Northern that year and uh, turned it, made Northern and turned them uh, back to kind of where they were in the early part of the decade. And then Minnesota hired him and did fairly decent at Minnesota. Uh, and then unfortunately, everything blew up in his face. Well, anyway, he's now at New Mexico State and he's trying to do the old miracle job again. And they lost to Nevada in week one, but it was only 23 to 12. So this team that was supposed to be this awful team did show up. Um, they, uh, they've had three straight losing seasons. They've been hovering around 2-10 and 10 on average every single year. They returned nine starters from their team last year. And they have a pretty good linebacking core. Uh, the Gophers are favored by 36.5, and, and they're going to win this game fairly easily. Uh, Minnesota should have their way. I, I think the, the watch for everybody is to see what Ibrahim looks like in his first game back and, um, and see what he's able to do. You know, the juice that he's got in his jump and, and if he's going to be able to uh, uh, to run all over this team. Because New Mexico State has a decent defense. So if you see a stat line and he runs for something like 200 in the first half, trust me, it is that is valid. I know people think New Mexico State's supposed to be the worst team in football, but their defense is fairly respectable. Uh, Minnesota's defense should have a field day uh, up against the New Mexico State Aggie offense. So... Uh, two big games on Thursday. I think everybody's ready for Penn State at Purdue. I know I am. I'm going to be really excited for that one. Friday night is a big high school football night. And if you follow me at Dooley Football, I do do a lot of talk about Chicagoland IHSA football. I love kind of going through the scores. It's easier being at the game, by the way, and posting scores and not looking for stuff. So hopefully I'll be at some of the high school football games. Although the Big Ten makes it so tough now. Right? If you're driving in your car right now, I know you're nodding along because you probably feel the same way that I do. And they make it tough to follow your local high school team because they keep putting on these Friday night games now. I don't like it. I'm not a huge fan. But I think it's uh, just another TV cash grab. And we'll see if it continues, by the way, when the Big Ten is uh, fully going to be with Fox Sports down the road and kind of see how that goes. Uh, Illinois at Indiana's at Friday. 
whenever Illinois and Indiana get together, you can throw out the records. I always think it's interesting, and every coach has a different feel on this when it comes to, do you like facing a team who has who is able to get one of those week zero games in? Or is it better since your team is more fresh? You know, there's back and forth on that. Uh, some coaches get bothered if you schedule one right beforehand. Uh, I think Illinois needed to find out a lot about their team. Uh, but here's the thing. With Indiana, I don't think any of us have a clue as to what we're going to see on Friday night. I don't have the slightest idea. You're talking about a, a team with with six, at least, at least six transfers that are going to start uh, the game uh, on Saturday. And the big question, I think after, not you didn't even need to watch last week's game to know this. It's going to be, can the Hoosiers defense stop the Illini running game? Based on what we see and what they've come in, I think Illinois should be able to run the ball. The Hoosiers are going to be favored by, by three points. The big news about this game, in case if you uh, have been following the news, the Hoosiers have not announced a starting quarterback. Now, I'm making this recording as of Tuesday evening of this week. Um, and the belief was that the uh, that Allen was not going to announce a starter until game time. So that's being withheld, uh, kind of the same way that Northwestern did before the, uh, before the Nebraska game. But we're going to find out who that is. I think the big key to the game... Uh, with all these new defenders also in Indiana as well, is just for DeVito to not turn the ball over. I think that's the big thing. Can't give the ball to Indiana. Allen is a, is a you know, their whole team, they're an, an offensive-minded team. Uh, they've still got a lot of skill on that offensive side of the ball. Don't turn the ball over. Um, don't turn this into a race. And uh, try to control the pace of the game. I think as long as you're able to do that, um, we're going to see how much faith we can have in this Illini defense. Here, I'm saying we like I'm an Illini guy or anything. I love Indiana. I love all the Big Ten teams. So I don't want to think have anybody think that I'm rooting for Illinois over Indiana, although I might slightly be rooting for Illinois over Indiana. Um, the cards are stacked against Allen going into this year. Uh, I feel that there's a lot of pressure with a lot of pressure, which sounds like a weird thing to say about an Indiana football head coach because Usually, if you're the football coach at Indiana, you're playing second fiddle to whoever the basketball coach is. Um, but, it, you know, it feels like he had the opportunity to be, you know, the biggest football name since Bill Mallory. Um, you know, Mallory did a fairly decent job when he was the head coach there. And they've really just been trying and trying and trying to kind of get back and climb, climb those steps to get back to at least respectability. And we felt like, I think we all felt like they did for a couple years there. And last year was just such a, a steep drop-off. So um, we'll see what happens. It's going to be dependent upon who Indiana's going to have as their starting quarterback, how these skilled transfers come out. You know, uh, are Matthews and Simmons, you know, really as highly thought of as people think as, uh, think that they are? And, uh, you know, the Hoosiers have a good secondary. So I think Illinois' best bet is really still going to be able to pound the rock and see what they can do. So uh, that should be an interesting game. Um Boy, I you know I really look for a pulse on a game. I feel like I have a decent pulse on Penn State Purdue. I'm going to release my predictions on Twitter. By the way, uh, I do think Penn State's going to beat Purdue. I, I just have a feeling Penn State's going to come out on top. Obviously, Minnesota's going to pound New Mexico State. I think that's going to be a very um, passionate game, to say the least. I'll say 48 to 10 Minnesota over New Mexico State. 
Illinois, Indiana, I have the roughest time with trying to find a prediction on. I keep going, hemming and hawing and going different ways. Um, I just think that Indiana being at home and DeVito looking a little shaky in week one kind of sways me. Uh, kind of sways me a little bit. So uh, I think we'll get a lower scoring game. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I've got Indiana beating the Illini 24 to 21. Um, Western Michigan's at Michigan State. Uh, I One thing I'm going to try to do in these out of conference predictions, because, you know, I have a people that I'm friends with that listen to the podcast or maybe looking for some clues on some bets and things of that nature. I know a lot of them have kids, spending a lot of time working, spending a lot of time on your house, going to different events with your kids. It's really tough to keep track of, you know, who's good outside of your individual conference. You don't have the time to sit down and read an entire college football preview like you were 17 years old. Um, so that's what I'm here for. I'm here to give you the information so that you can then make an educated decision. Uh, Western Michigan's going to be at Michigan State. And a uh, little stat for you. You can give this to your friends at work, by the way. Western is 2-14 and 14 all time against Michigan State. They have not beaten the Spartans since 1919. That was the last time that Western Michigan came out on top. And the Broncos, who have been fairly competitive in the MAC West over the years, they're predicted to be in the middle of the pack of the MAC West. Um, they have some solid skill position players. They're a little bit weaker on the line, though, and that's a problem when you're playing a physical team like Michigan State. I think the Broncos are going to have a really tough time running the ball against this physical Spartan defense. For those of you that are from the Chicagoland area, you may remember the name Tim Lester. Lester was from the Chicago Burbs and then was the quarterback at Western Michigan in the early aughts. And uh, he has been a part of that program now for a couple years, trying to get things turned around uh, in Kalamazoo. They've got 11 returning starters. Uh, they got more of their playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I think uh, for Michigan State, they just got to stick to their game plan. And uh, I, I think with how good that Spartan defense is, it's going to come down to turnovers, winning the turnover game, and then just converting on, on your chances that are there. I don't know if Michigan State's going to really run over teams. Uh, without Walker, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee them running over teams and winning games like forty-five to nothing. Even when they're playing a team like Western, I don't foresee it. Watch the win like sixty-five to nothing now. Um, but I think that Michigan State is uh, 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 probably going to win the game in a comfortable fashion. My prediction on this one is twenty-seven to six in favor of the Spartans and their physical defense that I love so much. Let's go to Saturday's tilts and a couple really interesting games that are on here. Uh, game number one, South Dakota State is at Iowa. The Hawks open at home, and this is not a game that the Hawks can take lightly. And if you're a Hawkeye fan and you're listening to this, I know that you know, you're, you're very aware from watching those pesky Northern Iowa teams over the years that you can't take uh, the Missouri Valley football teams for granted uh, they put out some good products, and you want to make sure, you know, that your team's putting their best foot forward. Iowa's got a really good team. South Dakota State, though, they beat Colorado State last year. They beat an FBS opponent. Uh, South Dakota State is going to be in the top five of the FCS this year. And people might be wondering, well, what, how does that translate? So what would be a top five FCS team? Well, if you look at the Sagarin ratings... They do believe now at this point, and it wasn't always like this, by the way, but they believe now. It used to be if you were a top flight FCS team, if you were a top team in the in the Missouri Valley, you would 
usually roughly equate to being a middle-of-the-pack MAC team. They believe now that the top Valley teams can play with the top MAC teams, that they believe that they're at the same level. So think of a top MAC team, like a Northern Illinois. And if you're thinking of Northern Illinois, and Iowa fans know this, you know, they've given Iowa, you know, they've played them tough a couple times in the past. So they got to keep their heads on a swivel and they've got to be ready. South Dakota State has a lot of different weapons. They're top five in the FCS. I think for the Hawks, the most important thing in these games, when you're playing an FCS team, because the, the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind and that a lot of people forget is that FCS schools have less scholarships. Okay, there's 20 less scholarships, I believe, between the FCS and FBS. And when you play them and you're playing them on these warm August afternoons, it's about running the ball, it's about controlling the play clock, and it's about not being Scott bleeping frost. Don't be cute. Stop being cute. Do what works. You have the power and you have the size up front that should be able to control the game against those teams' defensive lines. You recruited that way to have that strength. You have the size up front to control the game. Keep it simple. And then you develop your game around speed. It's about speed. And it's about wearing the other team down. They do not, just solely based on numbers. This isn't like a, a an opinion or anything. This is a fact. Based on just sheer numbers, you have the depth to overwhelm them. So that's something to keep in mind. I think some teams lose track of in a lot of those games. They get freaked out and they're like, oh my gosh, uh, it's close and we're playing. This is like back, you know, when I think the famous one that everybody thinks of is when Appalachian State defeated Michigan. But you can't freak out in those situations. You've got to keep sticking with what works. You got to keep pounding the ball. You have to use speed to your advantage. And hopefully, you know, not turn the ball over and you should be able to win the game. It's not a gimme game. The game is going to be fairly tough. And I've got a surprise for you. I think this game is going to be decided by a touchdown. And I think Iowa is going to win. And it's going to be 23-16. to 16. That's my prediction for you. Uh, North Dakota is, is not North Dakota State, by the way. Thankfully for Nebraska. Because I'm not sure if Nebraska, after the week they had the previous week, would be able to beat North Dakota. Um, uh, excuse me, North Dakota State. They're playing North Dakota uh, m- more so known for their hockey program than they're known for their college football. But uh, Nebraska's playing North Dakota this week. Uh, North Dakota is not in the FCS t- top 25 like they were last year. So Nebraska should have their way with them. Um, and I'm just going to reiterate what I said previously in the Iowa preview. It's probably twice as important for Nebraska than it is for Iowa. They have got to not be cute in this game. they got to keep things simple, do what works, stick with it, get the W and move on. You just need to get W's and put them in your pocket and focus on next week. Um, they have the talent to do it. And uh, if for any reason something freaky happens and he can't, if I'm Scott Frost, I just walk up to that podium. If I lose to North Dakota at home and I say, thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity to coach my alma mater, but I am going to retire and I'm going to go to a beach somewhere And uh, you're never going to see me again. I'm just going to drink every single day for the rest of my life (laughs) in a nice beachfront community and just enjoy life. I keep coming back to the fact that this guy came from Florida and was winning so often and, and doing what he did at Central Florida. It was just a given, right? Right? I mean, it was a given. He was going to win when he went to Nebraska, when everybody saw the hire 
we were all collectively, doesn't matter if you're a Wisconsin fan, a Minnesota fan, an Illini fan, Michigan, Ohio State, you heard that hire and you went, oh no, boy, that might be a problem. This could be a serious problem. And sometimes things that sound so good on paper just go beyond bad. You talk to any Michigan fan about the Rich Rodriguez debacle, you know, talk to anybody about, um, uh, I mean, there's a couple different instances, you know, it looked like Illinois and Ron Zook was going to work out and it wound up not working out. Uh, what looks like could be a perfect marriage just, you know, sometimes doesn't go together. And uh, that's definitely been the case in Nebraska. Uh, other game, Illinois State at Wisconsin. Uh, for the Badger fans on the podcast might be wondering the same thing. This is another Missouri Valley school. Uh, are the birds good like they were five or six years ago? If you remember, Illinois State was playing for FCS championships not that long ago. Uh, but their program's taken a little bit of a dip. They've moved towards the bottom half of the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Still a good team, still a good program. Uh, I say that they're quote-unquote down, but that does not mean that they're going to stay there. They have good facilities there. They have great a great coaching staff. Um, they're going to return, but for Wisconsin and their offensive line, I think they're going to have the easiest job of the three Big Ten teams that are playing um, FCS schools on Saturday. Wisconsin will have the easiest time. And the reason why they do is they just pound teams on the ground and they just wear them down. And it brings back to what I said earlier about the scholarships. You know, it's it's bringing in those fresh bodies and, um, and the drop-off from the FCS starter to the FCS backup is pretty significant. Um, especially now with all the transfers that have taken place in the portal. I, I know everybody talks about what's happening in the FBS. I'm a little bit more linked because... Just to kind of get my nerd on, I'm also a big FCS football fan because I'm a loser. Um, on the FCS side, w- w- there's a ton of transfers that have come in. I'll give you guys an example. I'll use Southern Illinois as an example again. Uh, they've brought in 16. They've got 16 transfers from the FBS. Now, to put this in perspective for those of you, when I was going to school there 20 years ago, we would get like three. And we would be so excited for like the one guy. <laughs> We'd be like, "Hey, they got the backup of Donovan McNabb at Syracuse, and he's gonna play. He's gonna play for SIU. Like this is the greatest thing of all time." Um, we got some guy from Missouri. We're like, "Oh yeah, this is it. This is the guy." I mean, there's that much movement. Players don't have to be as patient if they look around them and they say to themselves, "You know what? I don't think that this is gonna work out here. I, I think I should probably transfer somewhere else." They can do it and get playing time fairly quickly. So it's a completely different world at both ends of the spectrum. So teams can repair themselves at the FCS level uh, fairly quickly too. But Wisconsin shouldn't have any issues with Illinois State. My final game there, I have 56-17 to 17 in favor of the Badgers. Uh, Colorado State at Michigan. So Colorado State had a very good program for a long time, especially in the 1990s. They were one of the top, if you could call it a mid-major. Uh, the WAC was fantastic. And then Eventually, the Mountain West was fantastic back in the day. The Rams returned 12 starters from a 3-9 and nine team. Um, they have a solid receiving core, good running backs. Uh, Jay Norval uh, might be a name that you're familiar with. He was coaching at Nevada for a long time. He had take the, took the job uh, with Colorado State, and he was hired to turn it all around. Uh, big name to remember, uh, their key receivers. Troy Horton's a really solid guy that they have. This is year one of a big rebuilding experience. And I think Michigan just kind of has to stick to the same recipe that I talked about in the other games. I do think this spreads a little high. It came out listing at 30 and a half. I'm not sure about that. 
Uh, I know McNamara is going to get his time, and they're going to actually work in um, McCarthy as well. And I'm really interested to see what the two of them are able to do together. I think they each have uh, different strengths. And it should be an opportunity for Michigan to test some of their depth in this game. They should win the game. It should be comfortable. But Jay Norvell's a really good coach. I think the Rams are going in a really good direction. And, um, I, you know, Michigan did not really schedule tough. And I think the defense that Michigan has is that look at the side of the Big Ten that they're in. Look at the schedule they have in their Big Ten schedule. They don't need to make, you know... Um, a crazy out-of-conference scheduling decision like Ohio State did. Um, they want the opportunity to prove it during the Big Ten schedule as to what team that they have. Um, but this is this might be a little bit tighter, I think, than what it might look like on paper originally. I've got Michigan winning the game 31-10. to 10, um, But you know what? It might be close at the half. I really have a lot of respect for Jay Norvell and, uh, and what he was able to do at Nevada. And... Um, I think Colorado State is kind of one of those sleeper programs in the, in the Mountain West. They have a really good tradition that's there as well. Buffalo is going to be at Maryland, and the Terps are favored by 24. And I think all of us kind of looked at the Terps at the start of the year and kind of thought the same way that we did with uh, Indiana. Like, huh, I wonder what this team's going to do. Because you, if you turned, and I watched a couple Maryland games last year, and I'm probably the only person who watched like two of their decent games. Um, they've got a really solid receiving core. Uh, they got Talia coming back as their quarterback. 16 returning starters. Um, there's a good vibe around the program. <laughs> this is not a podcast that's going to focus on good vibes or what that even means. Um, because good vibes last until your first game, right? And then whatever happens in that first game can completely derail the entire the, the entire season. But the feel around the Maryland program is that they're ready to make that jump. Now, I'm not saying the jump is that they're going to be 9-3. and three. That's not going to happen. But what I mean by a jump is maybe being more of a consistent 7-5, and 8-4 program, that they can build a little bit more consistency within the program and building consistency as a winner. That, quite frankly, they started to build towards the earlier portion of the aughts uh, when they put their team together as well. Uh, Maryland's playing a Buffalo team that is uh, predicted to finish towards the middle of the pack in the MAC East. Um, they've actually got a pretty solid defense, but their offense is kind of weak. James Patterson's a linebacker you want to look out for. The Bulls were four and eight last year. They returned nine starters. Um, you know, it should be an easy win for, for Maryland. I think what people want to look out for is just how clean the offense looks. You know, Talia is a really, really interesting quarterback prospect, and a lot of NFL prospects are going to be taking a look at him and seeing uh, how crisp the offense looks. And really just how crisp his footwork uh, looks. And, um, how, you know, you can tell a lot by how seriously a team like this takes a game like this. If you want to be a team that's going to be building for the next level, or if you're just satisfied with being that 6-16, six and 16, and you're like, oh, we're going to show up, we're going to win this game, we've got more talent than Buffalo, we should win. Well, yeah, you should win, but, you know, it's kind of the difference between winning this game, you know, 38-31, to 31, or really putting it together and winning the game 45-17. to 17. Um, I think Maryland's got the talent to really kind of uh, bust this one out. I've got them winning 38-13. to 13. And uh, no, I did not purposefully make it close to the spread on that. Uh, two games left, Rutgers at Boston College. BC's going to have a decent team this year. Uh, the ACC's going to be really solid this year. 
Uh, obviously, Clemson's making their big bid back. Um, I think Florida State's going to be better. I know it's not, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be worse. So I mean, they're they're going to be better on that side of the uh, on that side of the division as well. Uh, the Eagles have won the last eleven meetings. They're favored in this game by seven points. Uh, they're returning fourteen starters. Got a great receiver in Zay Flowers. Um, but their offensive line is kind of their weak link within the team. And uh, Rutgers is going to need to be able to pounce. Uh, Shiano's going to have to have his team win the game at the line of scrimmage. Historically, that's where Shiano's been able to kind of train his teams to be more physical. Um, the word is out of Piscataway that the offensive line should be better than last year for the Scarlet Knights. Um, they're depending on a couple of big transfers that have come through. Um, and uh, we're going to see... We're going to see kind of where they're at uh, with the drawback and, and and where this team's going to move. Remember last year they started 3-0, and um, they looked pretty good. You know, they looked like they were going to be uh, decent, and then uh, kind of the uh, the rug was pulled out from under them. So, Shiano's got his hands full on this one, and this is a rough opener. This is a tough game. This is a true road game to start your slate. you got to go into Chestnut Hill and... Um, and you got to beat a team that you haven't beaten for your last 11 tries. And in what was used to be an old Big East matchup that used to take place between Rutgers and Boston College. Um, I think Rutgers is going to surprise some people. Um, I, I'm predicting them to win this game. I got them winning 20-17 to 17 in overtime. This is my surprise pick of the week. I think they're going to pull it through. I think Rutgers is going to be a little bit better than people expect. Uh, I'm not sure if a little bit better is going to be good enough for a bowl. But um, but I think it'll be a little bit better enough to 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 prove to the alumni that Shiano is taking this team in the right direction. The final game and kind of the king of the games of the weekend, and uh, it's kind of a shame in my mind that it is is uh, Notre Dame at Ohio State. And I told you when I was doing this podcast before that uh, that I would be doing uh, Big Ten. I'd be doing a little bit of MAC, a little bit of Missouri Valley as we move into the season. Now it's going to be more Big Ten focused. And then also talk about Notre Dame because there are a lot of Notre Dame fans in the Midwest as well. And we'll keep a pulse as to what's going on around the nation as well. Um, and, uh, and then we'll have some other podcasts, by the way, where we'll talk a little bit about the NFL as well. So we may be moving in multiple podcasts per week. So keep your eyes out for that one. Once again, another reminder to subscribe or excuse, I should say follow uh, Dooley Football on Twitter as well, where I'll be posting different stuff on IHSA football, uh, college football, and the NFL. Um, I really think it's unfair to Freeman and unfair to the Notre Dame program that they were uh, ranked at number five. And I'm really not sure. Um, I'm really not sure where the justification came from. This is a team that lost its main skilled players. Um. They do return a solid offensive line. They have a solid defensive line. They're a physical team. They're a good team. They have a lot of skill, and they've been recruiting a hell of a lot better over the last five years or so. And Freeman's doing a fantastic job even going forward with future classes. They do not have the talent that Ohio State does. Now, you will rarely see a two versus five matchup where the two is favored by 17 points. Usually the gap would be a little bit closer than that. But it seems like there's a pretty significant drop-off between those top three and four teams. And then when you get to number five, I just know, don't know for me personally if the gap is truly, truly 
17 points. I mean, that seems like a fairly significant amount to have as a gap between those teams. Um, And I think it's unfair to Freeman because if he comes out of this year, and I mentioned this in the podcast last week, if he comes out of this year, and they, they have a tough schedule. I don't think the schedule rankings show just how tough of a schedule Notre Dame has. If they came out of this year at 9-3, and three, I don't even care if they came out of it at 8-4. and four. And this is going to sound drastic. I don't feel like it's a failure because I don't have as much faith in this Notre Dame team as other people do. I think probably it's 10-2 and two talent that's on this squad. And is 10-2 and two worth the number 5 ranking in the country? I'm, I'm not really sure about that. I don't know. Um, I just know that A&M, and I know the SEC is going to beat up on, on, on each other. I know A&M is going to be higher than people think. I know Tennessee is going to make a jump as well. Um, I think maybe it's the issue that the, the Big Ten outside of Ohio State's not as good um, than maybe it was last year. And there's some, there's some holes to fill that, aren't, that, that should be there that aren't there. The Pac-12 really isn't that good this year. I mean, Utah's got a really solid team. Um, BYU is going to be really good. Um, but for me, the, 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 the Pac-12 isn't like it is in previous years. The SEC is obviously going to be solid. Um, you know, the Big 12 is kind of, kind of up, up in the air. Um, but it is Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. I mean, those are the four big dogs. Those are the four big dogs that are there. And there is a gap. I just feel like as the year goes on, we're going to see a little bit more from maybe an AM. And so maybe it's the fact that somebody had to be number five, right? Somebody just had to be number five. So Notre Dame, maybe because of it's their name, you know, and being fairly successful. They've been, I think it's more along the fact that they've just been consistent. They've just been consistently good um, for the last couple of years. Um, not earth shattering, but they've been able to get to the playoff a couple of times. Um, you know, they're, uh, but the talent to me doesn't match what I would view as a traditional number five team. So it's interesting. We're, we're going to see what happens in the game. I think Ohio State's just got too much. I think then the question is, is what would Notre Dame have to do in order to, uh, in order to win the game? And I think it just, it comes down to being able to dominate the line of the scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball. You have to find a way to be able to control the ball. You don't know if you're going to get the quarterback play that's going to be necessary in order to win you a game. You're asking a lot from a first-time QB to go on the road in a true road game in, in that stadium and be able to dominate. I just personally don't see it happening. You're going to have to do it on the ground. You're going to have to ask your offense to, to line up and smack them in the mouth and then try to find ways to keep them off balance with that running game. I think people think of like, oh, you're going to run the ball, you're just going to shove it down their throat. There's different things that you can do up front that can kind of change the eyes of the linebacker. There's different things that you can do that you would normally not do, but you really just do them to set up the defense. You know, you're moving guys on, on, on counters and sweeps. Uh, you're, you're, you're using guys in, um, um, you're using guys differently across the line so that they can't be predictive based on how you come out of the shoot as to how the play is going to take place. And that happens with, um, 
uh, yeah, that's done a lot. That's just done in a lot of different ways. And you might see Notre Dame do some things with their running game that you might not have seen in a while. You know, you might see them run traditional sweeps or traditional pitches or maybe even the option a couple times. Little different things to keep them off base. I don't think they're going to ask their quarterback to go out and win the game for them. Um, and then just defensively is really just finding a way to uh, to not get burned uh, and, and stop the big plays, right? You just can't get you can't get burned on the big plays. Um, you're going to give up yards. You just can't give up touchdowns. So um, it's going to have to be the traditional bend, don't break, and that's the only way I think that they're going to be able to, um, if they get that and if they get turnovers, um, then I think they've got a shot in the game. I think Ohio State is, though, probably going to run them. And uh, my prediction in this game, and I don't think this is a fault of Notre Dame. I think this is just where they're at this year. Um, I've got them losing the game 42 to 17. I think it's going to be a route um, for Ohio State. Uh, I don't think it's a reflection on Freeman, and it's not a reflection on the Notre Dame program and where they're at. And hopefully people don't overreact to whatever takes place this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they're trying to come back and replace and a lot of skill that they're going to, to try to come back and, and, and replace as well. So um, I, I just, I guess I don't see the same things that other people see in South Bend. And, you know, I, full disclosure, I'm someone who grew up as a Notre Dame fan. And, uh, you know, I'd love for them to, to, to be undefeated this year. But I, I just don't see it with this particular group. Um, uh, but we're going to learn a lot in week one. Because I might have my foot in my mouth. Because God knows... You put the teams on the field and anything can take place. What we're going to do in future weeks is we're going to have a couple quick uh, moments to also talk down the road and kind of do a little quick max synopsis and also uh, do a little quick look at the Missouri Valley Football Conference to give you as much information as possible as to what's going on with our bigger college football teams here in the Midwest. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this week one preview and week zero review uh, for those of you who did not get the previous podcast in the Big Ten preview, you can also get that by searching for the Dooley Football Cavalcade. And once again, follow me on Twitter at Dooley Football. Uh, I should be out and about over the weekend. Might be at some various high school games. And I might also be checking out um, some other games on the collegiate slate as well. So let's keep in contact and share this podcast with your friends as well. Thank you for those of you who listened last week as well. And I will be talking to you guys later. You guys have a great rest of the week. Happy football. Talk to you guys next week. Have a good one.